Welcome back, fellow music lovers. Hope you're doing okay out there. We got a great little show for you today. Going to be uh, talking to an old friend, uh, Mr. Marcus J. Moore. He was the senior editor of Bandcamp, amongst other things. He now has a book out, The Butterfly Effect, How Kendrick Lamar Ignited the Soul of Black America. And uh, the book is fantastic. I recommend you go out and get it. Maybe this interview will be better if you've already read it. Uh, but maybe not, uh, because I think what we get into in this discussion is not just really uh, info about the book, but about uh, Marcus the man, the human, uh, and and how the book sort of changed him, his experience writing the book, and what the book ultimately means. Uh, whereas it is, you know, we, you'll hear us talk a lot about this in this episode, about how it's not a strict bio of Kendrick Lamar. It's more of a journey, and uh, and that is true. But it is just as much about Kendrick's journey as it is about Marcus's journey, and uh, both, both are fascinating. So... If you are uh, curious about any of those things, which you, you very well should be, then let's get to it. Here you go. This is me sitting down with, with our old friend, Mr. Marcus J. Moore, big time Hollywood Marcus J. Moore, to talk about his brand new book, The Butterfly Effect. Okay. It comes here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man Nearly a two-word review just said shit sandwich. I will roll the record up to the last man. That right there is a lot of the I guess uh, we can kind of start there because I feel like um, your book might have been a little bit delayed from the first time I heard about it. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the day, we had a little basement used to hang out in once in a while. Uh, and uh, it kind of looks like where you're sitting at now. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I remember you coming down there. I can't remember if it was you, me, and uh, Marcus Dowling or who it was. But uh, coming down there and just after talking about something, you just said, yeah, I think I'm going to write a book about Kendrick Lamar. And I don't think you'd even taken the band camp position yet. Like it was right, it was right around that time. There was some like you, you were still in D.C. And, uh, and then it was like a year later. Like it didn't happen. And you took the band camp thing. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, I kind of want to, I, I want to hear what Marx's book about Kendrick Lamar is going to be. And then you showed back up and said, hey, uh, I'm actually doing it. And it was like, it was kind of insanely exciting because you had gone from this like local music guy, which you didn't start off as a, a music journalist, but you had made the, your name for yourself doing this to like running what is arguably uh, one of the best editorial uh, departments for music uh, in the country, if not the world. Um, and to see the change in you from like little Marcus in DC to like this national figure was astounding. And then to know this is, this is still coming like that still, this was probably three years like before the book even comes out, just like waiting and seeing how you have grown over this time. And I guess my point is, is that uh, a proud of your brother? <laughs> like that is, is <laughs> an absolutely so. stunning achievement. But um, 
your journey through this kind of maps the journey, uh, at least thematically, that is in your book about Kendrick Lamar, which let's be clear, this is not a by the numbers thing, a biography of Kendrick Lamar. It's about a journey. Yeah, no, you. I, I'm glad that you got it because that's exactly what I was going for. Um, and that's the thing that I noticed even in writing it is that there were a lot of similarities between myself and Kendrick where, you know, obviously he came up on the West Coast and in Compton, I came up on the East Coast and in Landover, but the parallels are so are so similar in the sense that he came up around a lot of people who looked out for him. I came up around a lot of people who looked out for me. And, um, you know, it's definitely not a straightforward biography. And I, and I understand why it's been more of a slow burn because it's a lot to explain in an email what that book is and what it's supposed to be doing, you know, because it's not just like page one, he's born, page 250, here he is with the Pulitzer. It's, you know, it's a lot going on at the same exact time. So I do feel like, you know, where people are getting it and they're understanding it. I don't think people are going to fully grasp what's going on in that book until like five years later and 10 years later, because he is still writing a story and it's the first one on him ever. So naturally that comes with some skepticism, but uh, yeah, it's definitely a journey and it's a journey that I think people are going to be embracing for a long time. Yeah. And, and, and your part of that journey is this is unlike anything you've ever written. Um, you usually report on music. Right. Um, this is from the jump uh, infused with you. Um, even, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, like by the, by the last little portion of the book, it is just basically you talking um, about our current state of affairs or the current state of affairs that were in America at that point, which I don't think anybody would have seen that coming in a book of Kendrick Lamar about Kendrick Lamar, although maybe they should have. Um, you focus a lot of this book around uh, the song All Right, which was, uh, you know, I, I know when when we would talk about it, I think that was the inroad for a lot of people, uh, for a lot of white people, honestly. Um, you know, it was a universal message, but it was speaking specifically to, like, the black community. Uh, and, like, do you think that that song now we're sitting here at the end of November still like has that same message, has that same power after, you know, George Floyd, after COVID, uh, after Joe Biden's been elected now, like, how do you, how does that song sit with you now? And how does Kendrick's message? Um, well, I guess I, I have to admit that, you know, my ears are probably a little burned <laughs> on Kendrick because I had to listen to so much of it and I had to run those records back so many times. And I'm talking everything from To Pimp a Butterfly to the early mixtapes to Damn, the songs that leaked and all kinds of stuff. So, uh, but to answer your question, um, it I think it still has the same resonance. Admittedly, I, I don't think it, it, while it has the same resonance, I don't think it's going to have the same impact now as it did in 2015 as when it came out, because when it came out, um, obviously, you know, we were still hurting from the death of Mike Brown, the death of um, um, Trayvon Martin and Eric Garner. And now, sadly, I feel like America is just we're all just sort of tired, you know, like between yeah. 
yeah, I think we're all like I talk to people all the time and I feel like we're all just kind of over it, just kind of over everything. And um, while I think it has resonance, perhaps it doesn't have the, the exact same resonance because that song came out right as everything was happening. And now we're five years from it and now we can look back. But I also feel like maybe we're at this point now where we're kind of tired of looking at looking towards protest music all the time. Like, you know, like we, we kind of need a break from it. And so it's still a song you can go back to and get the same message from it. But I know me personally, when it's time to listen to some music, I'm listening to something that's a little bit more reflective, a little bit more meditative. But there is, you know, all right. You can be in the mood for all right. You know, I'm not saying I won't come back around to it. But right now, I feel like we're all we all need something that's a little bit more serene. Yeah, for sure. You know, the, the subtitle of your book is is uh, igniting the black soul of America. And I think that was that was part of it. Like what? But what did that like ignite in you? Because uh, I have known you through this whole process and, and I have seen a change in in what you're out there publicly talking about that not just like keeping it focused on the work. Yeah, I, I feel like um and it's something that I had to realize in writing the book. It's like, you know, as a music journalist and even before that, just as a journalist at the Gazette newspapers and all that stuff, um, I've, I was always trained to, you know, your name. My name is small at the top of the story, but it's really about the, all the stuff underneath it. But I didn't realize until I was writing the book that, no, I need to. This is my thing. It's going to have my name on the front and people are going to want me to be a more active writer. So whereas I feel like the book, and on, on purpose, because this is just where I was, even though the book is more meditative and it's more sort of me working through all these different things in concert, I also wanted to make sure I didn't mince any words and that the language is very clear. It's very direct because going back to what I'm saying at the top here, you know, even if you don't get it right away, if you get it five years from now or 10 years from now, you can. I still wanted future generations to be able to go back and know exactly what was going on. So you're not only getting a book about Kendrick, you're also getting a book about, you know, the killing of unarmed black men. You're getting a book about the the re resurgence of jazz and all these different things. So um, me personally, I just feel like, you know, the stuff that I talk about now, I try to be more direct and I try to just get right to it. Whereas before before I started writing the book, maybe I would be a little hesitant because I didn't feel like I needed to have a voice because that's how you're trained to be as a journalist. But now, now that I'm doing other things and I'm brought into different conversations, I'm learning that, okay, clearly people want to hear my voice and my, my opinions on certain things. So I just have to say it in the clearest way possible. So that's, that's sort of how I've evolved over the past year and a half, I think. Yeah, I mean, because it ends with basically an excoriation of the Trump administration. Yeah, which I, I, I literally, I mean, I know we, we gathered you, me, I think Brianna Younger was there, like right after that election, and uh, and it, it sucked. Oh yeah. <laughs> and but I, but I hadn't heard you talk about that really since then, and to see that, I was just like, oh man. This is it felt like you were just stepping into like a fuller version of yourself yeah. um, because because of what you've done in your work is is it's inspired people. They're like, holy shit, like you can do this. You can you know, run Bandcamp and have it be like an ethical and actually good form of music discovery. You can uh, 
you can't speak about things that maybe people in the music industry don't necessarily want you to speak about. You can speak about jazz in a way that people pay attention. Um, but did you like, did it change your relationship writing this book? Did it change your relationship at all to music itself? Actually, that's a great question, man. It, it, it changed my relationship with the people who create the music that I love. So and, and I think it's almost sort of a part B answer to what you asked me before, you know, how did I evolve now having these conversations with the likes of like, uh, you know, Gene Gray or Nubaya Garcia or like um, Christian Scott and all these people, Robert Glasper is another one where it isn't so much me on the other side of the table asking questions and, and writing a story as it's now become. I realized through talking with them privately and publicly, they were all part of the same creative community. And that even though I'm covering the stuff that they're doing, I still play a vital role in that ecosystem. And so now it isn't crazy for, you know, um, jazz artists or whoever just to send records and be like, hey, what do you think? Um, not even for coverage, you know, so that's one part of it. But I think I think the other part of it, to answer your direct question, is that you know, the music hits me differently because I realized that there is a voice and an ear for all kinds of music, you know, and and like you were saying, I've always been a guy who uh, I'm just going to talk about what I like, you, no matter how weird and crazy. And, and it's cool if you don't like it. I get it. I Like, I understand that certain things are not going to be for everybody. But the only thing I can do is discuss what I like. And if you can get with it, then we can have a conversation. If not, that's cool. There's some other stuff that you can get behind. And so um, my relationship to music has gotten a lot more personal because now I'm being asked to write with more sort of personality about the music that I love. I can put I can put I in there a lot more I in me and it doesn't seem weird anymore. Yeah, yeah. Th that relationship, I think, to artists and stuff, I think everybody who reports on music eventually gets there at some point. Uh, like, I, I've been, like, making music more this year, and, like, that has changed everything radically. Um, and it, it's, it is a, it's a different conversation. And in my opinion, I think that's where the, the good work happens. Um, because if you can talk to like Nubaya like Garcia, at the end of the day, you're just two humans, and and you're you're experiencing something in different ways. Like she's actually creating the thing, but but the end result is like I think is it does it add to the world? Does it make it better? Um, which is always a question I think that we should be asking when we're talking about like music, art, and everything. Um, and you know, to your point about. You know, if you don't dig something, uh, that is one thing I love about like texting you about music uh, is that it really is that. Like, there's nothing for us to talk about uh, if, like, if you love Bonnie Bear and I don't. <laughs> so we, so, so we don't. You know, sure. Because because there's so much other shit like to talk about. Just be like, yep, no, nope, yep. Oh, okay, that. And then you have that conversation, and that makes that makes it better, right? Yeah, no, and that's fair, and that's the thing. I've never been one of these music critics where I review a thing and I have to be the voice on the thing, or like, oh, if you don't like it, then we have to have an argument. It's like, look, as much as I love music, 
it is just music. You know what I mean? Not, you know, not to say just music, but I'm not going to I'm not going to raise my blood pressure because somebody else doesn't like a thing. I'm still going to play it like it's OK. It's totally fine. But a lot of people will straight, you know, it'd be frayed relationships because you don't yeah. like a record. I like it's like, what do you this is silliness. Like yeah. you don't like it? Cool. I yeah, will find just, something that you like. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's exactly it. Um, so how you know it, it changed your relationship to the music. How during the process of this, because during the process of this, you know, like I said, you you moved to Brooklyn, but then you actually moved to Nairobi. Mm-hmm. Um as a black American, how do you think this changed your relationship to this country uh, or even to your uh, self-perception as a black man? Oh, that's a that's a great question, man. It, it's it was so it's so complex because you don't realize until you live in another country that, quite honestly, the U.S. is far behind other countries in terms of, uh, you know, development in terms of, um, just sort of cultural nuance and all, all kinds of things. Because when you're living in the U S the, the, the media training and the perception is that this is the, you know, the land of the free home of the brave and all of that. And this is God play, God bless the U S and no place else and all of that. So, but it's not until you live in a place like East Africa, um, Nairobi, Kenya specifically, that people don't really talk about as a destination. Like anytime someone's talking about the continent, they're talking about either West Africa or South Africa. They don't talk about the East. And so in that way, it almost feels like this untapped market until you get there and you realize that it's full of amazing writers and photographers and fashion designers and all these people that the world doesn't talk about. So, you know, in that way, uh, it helped me because as in writing, when I was writing this book, I was just immersing myself in that culture and I was just trying to learn. Like I, I didn't want to come over as the American, the the American, oh yeah, I live in New York and all of that. I, you know, who cares about all of that? I want to learn from what's going on here. Um, but then there's also this weird sort of dichotomy where I identified as local until I spoke. And then once they heard my accent, then they started treating me like, oh, you're you're American. So I wasn't for the first time in my life, I wasn't invisible. I was like, OK, that's Marcus and Mabenti, the Americans. And then in a weird way, that's how you we, we started getting preferential treatment, which is something we didn't want. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. didn't want preferential treatment. Oh, I know you don't want that. <laughs> no, I want to. Yeah, that's not that's not my jam. You don't want anybody, superstar. <laughs> like, that's, yeah. you know, that's my that's kind of my vibe. Right. Like, oh, no, you know, don't don't look at yeah. me, that kind of thing. So um, but then, you know, we, we would notice that, like, that's when the free food would start coming. That's when, like, you know, our plates would come out first. And it's like, well, you know, but. Uh, so, it, you know, all of those things were working at the same exact time while I was meditating on this book. And I got to say, I wrote about 60 percent of the book in Nairobi. And I'm glad that I did because it really informed my perspective. And if nothing else, it just sort of slowed me down to help me process all the stuff that was going on. I, I've seen a lot of the music. I mean, you've always been an avid like crate digger and getting into like the more esoteric jazz, especially, but I've seen you like really digging into like South African jazz and stuff to the point that like, you actually put out like a mixtape essentially. Yeah. Um, when as a writer, this is a very different way for you to communicate. 
with people. Do you maybe prefer that to the actual writing or are you still like completely in love with writing? I'm still in love with the writing, but I am getting to a point now where I need to be more controlled with the writing. You know, I don't think I need any more writing gigs, thankfully. Um, cause I'm, no. Yeah, I think I'm I think I'm all set on publications at this point because, you know, I'm ramping up for book number two. I'm still I'm part time now at Bandcamp and I have, you know, dream publications that I could just write for, um, which is a blessing. But whatever I do next, I want to use my voice. or I want to use that curation talent, like you said. So me putting out that tape. Honestly, that was a random day in Nairobi where I was blending this stuff up. And then I remembered that I met this guy named Chris Hound from Paxico Records in L.A. And I just emailed him. I was like, hey, would you want to put this out? And he, it was an immediate yes. And so I do like doing that because it's one thing for me to write and to jump on Twitter or whatever and say, hey, you need to listen to this record. It's another thing for me to blend it up and, and have you listen to it yourself. And so I think that's the next frontier for me as I write books, because I want to just write books and then that's it. But I feel like I'm always going to be a music journalist in, in some regard, um, not as actively as I am now, because I'm trying to phase that out a little bit. I can't be on deadline all the time. Right, 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 <laughs> for sure. But but also you can do different kinds of pieces like, you know, you just did a, a, a profile of Rob Masaryk. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, you can people. The more contextualization of an artist that you can make uh, for a person, the better they're going to try and understand the art. It doesn't mean they'll like it, but they're going to at least try to understand it a little more. And that's something I, I think that you really kind of perfected at Bandcamp. Uh, but now, like that was in the New York Times, um, yeah. and and it, and it can be given voices to people that aren't like say as big as, as him. And, you know, more and more and use this to get back to what we were saying earlier, that it's about a conversation between people in the same creative community. And some of the readers are in the same community. That's that's the the magic of it, I think. I totally agree with you. And fun fact, my editor didn't like that record either. The rock, the rock, right? Oh man, you're out of me now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, like, and, and and that's the thing. I can say that publicly because Rob knows that his music is for a specific group of people. But I say that to say that, um, you know that that's a truly privileged position to be in when your editor is like, "This is not my jam," but I trust you to do the thing with it. And then when I turned in the article and we started going back and forth on edits, he was like, "Oh, okay, I understand this now." Like, I understand what you're talking about. And so, you know, it's, it's a it's a privilege because the New York Times isn't hurting for content. So, you know, the fact that to have that green light is uh, something else. Yeah, for sure. Now, you know, speaking of other forms of communication, uh, your mixtape, but also uh, I know you have from a ways back been interested in music direction for film and stuff. Is yeah. that, is that something that you're still pursuing? Is that something that you're actually looking forward to doing like maybe soon? Um, because I see a lot of, uh, especially on shows that are more like black focused, a real focus on highlighting that music director. Um, I would I, I'm love thinking, to I, I'm, yeah, cause I'm thinking about like, you know, Watchmen, I'm thinking about like, uh, insecure shows like that. Um, or even Lovecraft Country just came up. You know, they mm-hmm. they acknowledge the importance of the music that is used in that. So, how yeah. do you see your relationship to that 
like currently now that you have this like hit book out your your name's out there <laughs> um, hit book hopefully yeah. it's a hit uh uh well, yes, but yeah, I I still want to do music supervision for sure. Um, I don't know how to get into it, admittedly. I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, but I would love, I would love for that to be a frontier where, you know, I'm working on a show and, you know, just something as simple as saying, oh, this song will work in this scene and doing that, I think would be great. Like even for an episode, like, you know, I know I'm starting from zero. And so if there's an opportunity to just do that for a scene, I would love to do that. Um, but I don't know. But at the same time, you know, I do realize that, that the knock on me is that I need to sit down. <laughs> I need to chill out. Because even my, even my new editor, my, my new book editor was like, uh, you know, you don't have to work on this De La Soul book right now. You can kind of relax, you know, just chill out for a little bit. So I'm trying to I take mean, everybody's advice. Yeah. No, no, no. That's, that's a good thing to do. I think... Um, you know, turn it back to the book a little bit. One thing I found fascinating when I found this out was that you did not have access to Kendrick. So, but you did, and, and you've talked a little bit about this, have access to all the people that around him that helped create to pimp a butterfly. Uh, obviously that changed the, the direction of the book a little, uh, but how did being around seeing that creative process, how did that help you change your views on the creative process as a whole? Um, it made me realize that, um, you know, even though Kendrick's name is on the front of these records, that it wouldn't be anything if you didn't have cats like Terrace Martin and Robert Glasper and Ryan Porter and Miles Mosley and, Kamazi and like all these people who are working to help you create the best thing possible. And so it helped that helped me because my book is essentially the same exact thing where uh, and you'll get these references because uh, we're both music nerds where when I was writing the book, I was really into Makai McRaven's Universal Beings. I still love that. Oh, record. Yeah. And I was really into Gene and Quelly Chris's Everything's Fine, where it's like. Yes, it's these names on the front, but then when you start looking through the liner notes, you're like, oh, wow, uh, Anna Wise is on this record and Shabaka Hutchin. You know, all these people are on there helping you create this thing. Um, and that's what I noticed with Kendrick, and that's what I wanted to do with my book. So whereas, you know, my name is on the front, it wouldn't be anything with all, all these people who were so generous with their time. You know, cats like... Um, you know, the aforementioned people and then also Layla Hathaway and Anna Wise and all of these people. Um, so it made me realize, though, that it's also not just about the big names. It's not about even though Kendrick is like the biggest name, you know, Ryan Porter still had a, a, a big part of it, you know, and like bad, bad, not good and all these people. So it helped me realize that, you you, you know, creative community is important. And full buy-in can actually help change the world if everybody's bought into this idea. Yeah, uh, yeah. To that last point, I think that that's that's huge. One thing I've I've noticed in 2020 is um, jazz, and part of this is because of your work, uh, but there are a lot of people doing this too. Uh, jazz is really starting to hit with people. 
more more challenging music is really starting to hit with people because uh, we've been so locked into like a a, a star uh, forward mode. You know, you see Kendrick and you don't think about anything behind that, really. Um, except then you had Kamasi Washington and the West Coast get down, like step out of that shadow right. uh, and, and do their own thing. So you see you see the front, but you don't think about everything that goes on like you were saying. But now that we're all sort of indoor, we have so much time. Uh, we have different ways we're processing stuff. We can't like go to a big concert and see the big name. Uh, people are finding more meaning in this. And, and I'm wondering if at the end of the day, uh, if there is like a silver lining to this year and this pandemic is that people really understand about this creative community and how that is what needs to be supported and nurtured. Because like, like you said, no, nobody, literally nobody creates anything by themselves. Right. Yeah. Like you, like you do, you wrote the words, but you drew from so much around you mm -hmm. and it just can't happen without <laughs> other people in the world, which is at the end of the day, that's seems has always seemed to me to be the point of, uh, just making good art. What I'm noticing is that, you know, creative community is, is, is very important. And I am noticing that more people, like you said, are realizing that it's important and that there is more out there than just the big names. You know, you you can start digging into like scenes like, uh, you know, the scene with um, like Terrence Nance and Pink Sifu and all those people and Liv and all these people um, who are doing great things. And maybe folks may not have realized it before, but they're starting to realize it now because, like you said, we're all in the house and we're all just sort of absorbing all this content. And as a result, I feel like creative classes like that are going to start rising to the forefront. So even in jazz, you have this young kid named like um, Emmanuel Wilkins, you know, he. Oh, had, yeah. Yeah. That that record is crazy. And then man, that record is right. And then like the drummer is like this young kid who's probably going to have his own record. So. You know, it just keeps going in this ecosystem and more people are starting to realize that jazz, jazz doesn't have to just be, you know, very meditative with one instrument on it. It can you can be very forward thinking and um, more people are getting behind that. And, I'm, you know, it's, it's a it's a blessing to see because I felt like for a while I was in the wilderness. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't feel yeah. so much that way. Well, for sure. And, you know, and, and I can say just from knowing you, like my uh, intake and understanding of jazz has increased exponentially. Oh, um, man. Thank just, you. Just, just having somebody to not just talk about it with, but also to explain stuff, you know, or point just a little nudge in the right direction is so helpful to this art form that people just really seem scared of from time to time. But I mean, to tell you, like, you look at, like, I don't think anybody is doing more work towards this than International Anthem. Oh, yeah. And those guys, you mentioned the Makai McRaven album that's on that. You, uh, the Alabaster de Plume album, which is getting a lot of press right now, um, that is just a whole. That's a whole thing. Uh, the, the, you know, mm -hmm. I've talked about it a lot, but uh, but even like you think about, you know, you listen to that and they're like, it hits a little easier um, than the McRaven, but then they have this upcoming Force Majeure record that is uh, just two people recording stuff in their living room. Mm -hmm. and, Brandy and Dez, yeah. Yeah, and that's jazz. 
Like, but it's not like it's not like hard bop. It's not hard anything in the club. It's actually you listen to it. It is. Uh, I think what your comment was like, yeah, that's soothing, <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah, it's a lullaby. It Absolutely, and and I think about that kind of that sort of music, and I got to thank my best friend for this because, um, you know, we were talking about jazz the other night when I saw him, and uh, he was just like, yeah, like you know, I like jazz, but I don't like the like active stuff that you play, and I'm like, wait, what? You know, because when you're in it, you just feel like, well, everybody loves Sun Ra, and everybody, <laughs> but he's like, no, I like myself to be a little more chill, and so yeah, I need to send him that record actually. For people who are trying to get into jazz though you're somebody who does like indie rock and likes jazz and you, you like music mm-hmm. you know I, like i remember uh we were at the uh, car seat headrest show at black cat and you were just like that's next level shit yeah and that was next level shit how do you how do you knowing that we're all in silos or a lot of people are in silos as far as what they listen to how do you talk to somebody to say it's not even like if you like this, you'll like this. Like, how how would you go about like kind of convincing them to reach out and stretch out? I would say, you know, and that's always a tough one. That's always a tough one because we all have such different tastes in music. Um, I would say, if possible, just kind of li- like even if it's not your thing, just challenge yourself to listen to something beyond what you would listen to, because even, you know, we see it across spectrums where like, you know, Twitter, we all follow like-minded people. Facebook is just our friends, IG, same thing. So in music, I would hope that we can, we can sort of branch out and, you know, listen to something that's beyond what we're, what we're used to. So what I would tell them honestly is like, you get, you have to listen to the intention behind the music. So don't just listen to the music itself, like listen to, what this person is trying to go for. So in the case of like Carsey headrest, I don't know. I, I also feel like I cheated a little bit because, you know, in covering music, you just develop this intuition, as you know, where you just kind of have a sense like, okay, this is a thing. It may not be my thing, but this is a thing. Um, So I would say if possible, just listen to the intent behind it. Even if it's something you're not going to play ever again, just, just notice that, you know, this person is giving their heart to what they're doing because you can't, you can't cheat that. You know, it doesn't matter what you're listening to. You could be listening to metal country, folk, whatever. You can hear the heart in something as soon as you click play, if you're listening deeply. Now, if you're just listening, if you just want like a Spotify playlist or some chill hip hop, you want to play in the background when you study, that's something totally different. But if you want to actively listen to music, you have to always find the heart of the music first and then let the rest sort of fill itself in. So that's what I would tell somebody just sort of listen deeply and listen to something you wouldn't normally check out. Yeah. Be active in it. Yeah, it's totally. active. It is, it is so, so very active um, listening to music. If at least for me and I suspect for you, like just to get enjoyment out of it, I, I have to be active in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, there, there's music you put on for like the barbecue out back, and that's that's fine. You know, for me, that's something I'll never get you hip to, but it, that's the dead. You know, <laughs> we'll just. But uh, and for a lot of people, but you know, there's a lot of stuff uh, that goes both ways. Everybody has that comfort music, but for actually like, yeah, listening for that heart, and when you recognize it, like follow it, mm-hmm. like see, just see where it goes, and that's 
that has been the key to me enjoying a lot more jazz. Uh, there's there's stuff like the Asha Gamedze album, which isn't my favorite. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily get the intent from listening to it. But because so many people have said this is what it's about, then it made it like, oh, I I have to pay attention to this. Right. And, and figure out like, okay, does this matching up with his intent? Because a lot of times in music, what happens is people say it's one thing and that they just had really grandiose dreams. Yeah, know, marketing. What it is. Yeah, yeah, marketing, exactly. Marketing, but, uh, yep. And as a result, like that particular album, I found out that, yeah, it did match what he was he was doing. And so now I'll put it on from time to time, even though it's not my favorite. It's just, uh, yeah, you just, you just got to be active with it. Absolutely. Um, so you're going to um, – you're here in the States for a little while more. I think you're doing, uh, you're getting all the big press. So, you know, on the Rolling Stone, as it were. <laughs> on the Rolling Stone. Yeah, yeah, man. It's um, It's been crazy because you know how it is when you just create a thing. It's just you yeah. creating a thing and then it goes out and you don't really have any expectations for it. I was actually trying to temper my expectations and for it to be covered by so many people and, um, you know, celebrated in such a big way. It's like, I, I have to remember that, you know, that, uh, you know, it's just, it's going to be a slow burn. So I think people are still going to be absorbing this even a year from now. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, you got recognized at the bookstore if I'm not <laughs> incorrect. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, <laughs> I, I, I need our listeners to understand that like you are, if you say anything praising you, Marcus, no, your response no. is just like, nah, I know it, I'm, I'm trying I promise everybody, listen, I'm trying to get better because everybody no, from my I, wife to everybody is like, Yo, it's you fine. Need to chill. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's just hysterical. Like how much you push back on that, even though it's like deserved, um, you know, because you wrote this thing that now means something to the more, more people are finding it and it means a lot to them. Um, because I think they do get into it because they're like, ooh, Kendrick Lamar biography, and then understand pretty immediately that it, that's not really what it's about. And uh, that's powerful, like that you've added that to people's lives. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah. How are people you're interacting with reacting to this book from your perspective? Like what, what are you seeing? What's the, what's the favorite thing you're seeing about people reacting to it? Um. I think that the best thing that I've seen so far is uh, it was an observation from a friend of mine who was like, oh, this is its own form of music, like this book, like it, it's its own form of jazz. I could see that I could see I could tell that you're a jazz head from reading this book. And then I asked him, like, well, how, how could you tell? Um, first, he got it, like, because that's totally what it was. It was influenced by, like, you know, subtlety and nuance. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was like, yeah, it starts you off slow. And then around like chapter five, it just takes off. It takes off and it's gone. So it's like it, it sort of has this uh, sort of blow up mid song where it, it takes you to the end. And before you know it, you're like, wow, I got this really, really robust piece of music. And in this case, it's really robust book that has so many different things that I'm going to have to absorb again. So that's been the best observation. And, uh, you know, I'm also getting observations from people like you who are like, no, it's not a straightforward celebrity bio and it was never mm-hmm. meant to be. Um, so people are getting it in that way. Um, chapter five really surprises a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, 
in, in a good way, like not in a bad way, but like they're like, oh wow, this is the whole the whole chapter is what goes on. You walk us through it in concert or in relation to Kendrick's music, and I think that was that was really well done. And um, and I'm getting that from like people who are in the book, people you know, like um, notable people who who I know bought it. Like they're picking picking that stuff up, and I think that's yeah. pretty great. Yeah, uh, it is, and and the book is pretty great. Oh, thank and, you. That, that's that's really all that can be said about that. It's something everybody I think listening to this needs to go out and buy pretty immediately if you can. Uh, I've been saying this on our Twitter. If you can go to a black owned uh, bookstore, do that. Um, but it's available everywhere, uh, and. Uh, I can't wait to see what you do with De La Soul, man. I, oh yeah, I really, man. Uh, we are. Uh, that's that's going to be your next book. I can't. I can't wait to see what you do with that, and then to see how this next this little chunk of time here develops for you. Uh, you know, I, I hate when people say when you talk about music press, people are say things like, uh, this marks the arrival of a bold new voice and blah, blah, blah. But, <laughs> but, I, but I really do think, uh, and I, and I, I, if I hadn't told you this yet, I, I'm telling you now, I do think, um, by the time you finish this book, you understand that this does mark the arrival of a bold new voice, uh, not just in music, uh, but for like black Americans, for, for Americans period on how to be, uh, how to be studious and aware and 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 really part of of a larger community and uh so you should be super proud of that i know you are but you, that is it, it's it was a remarkable achievement brother. thank you man i really do appreciate that sincerely if you're discontented and your life's a struggle you're fighting and despising yourself Thanks, Marcus, for taking time to hang out. I know he is a busy guy these days, uh, as he should be. That's what happens when you do something uh, this this good and this great, this important, and uh, and you stay busy, and then you you keep busy, and and you make the world a better place. Which I think this book does. I think Marcus does. If you know him at all, like you know that he is he is one of the most solid human beings uh, you can meet. You want him on your side. Uh, at every turn, uh, so go out and get the book. And if you, if you uh, know Marcus or want to like hit him up, just virtual high five. We can't do it in person, but you know, say good on you, dude. Uh, and uh, seriously, Marcus, good on you. You did the thing. Uh, that is it for this episode. If you like what you heard, please go out and support anything in your community, whether it's an artist, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's a – if you like comic books, go to a comic book shop. If it's a record store, uh, Acme Records here in Milwaukee is doing like a hell of a lot of curbside pickup business. Go out and do that if you can. Don't feel bad if you can't, but if you, if you can, then go out and support that because – 
like you heard us talking about the the creative communities and supporting each other like it's not just creative communities we're all creative communities and and we're going to get through this thing uh together and then uh i think we're going to be stronger for it on the other side of this thing but only if we if we do this now together if you you wait around to do it um you think like somebody else will do it that's that's not going to work that's but get involved is what i'm saying uh give money to cactus club which i'm going to do right now because they didn't get money from the state for a lot of weird fucked up reasons but do what you can do that's all i'm saying uh, coming up in the next four episodes left uh, including 500 uh, next episode is going to be our best of the year it's not going to be we're not the authority uh, so it's more stuff that really meant meant the most to us this year and it has been a weird year I will tell you we're looking at the lists I've seen uh, Stereogum's list and uh, NPR's list very little overlap and I heard all those albums uh, but they didn't stick with me And uh, but we've you know we've always been against the grain a little bit uh, and then uh, two episodes, we're going to have to call an audible. I honestly don't know what we're going to do. I've been threatening to talk about the Eagles for 500 episodes now. I don't know. The, I, I don't know if you guys want that. I don't know if I want that. Maybe I want those feelings <laughs> kept on the inside. But uh, but we'll figure it out and we'll figure it out together. And then and then sometime mid December, episode 500, we'll take a take a little break, a little hibernation trip to do some stuff which i said i'll tell you more about later and i will uh so we'll be back next week stay safe out there stay sane take care of each other talk to you soon <laughs> oh, <laughs> Kenobi!